iTunes presents Meet the Author. Okay, good afternoon and uh, welcome, everybody, to the Apple Store Soho. We're very pleased that you could join us for today's special event, uh, a Meet the Author event. Today we have Mary Pope Osborne joining us. She's the author of many novels, picture books, story collections, and other books uh, that you're probably all very familiar with. And today she joins us to read a selection from The Magic Tree House Number 29, Christmas in Camelot. Uh, she'll be joining us in just a moment to read from the book and answer some of your questions. A little later, we'll also be treated to a performance from uh, the touring production of Christmas in Camelot. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming author Mary Pope Osborne. Thank you for coming. I'm going to be joined up here today by my husband, Will, who is the uh, writer of Magic Treehouse the Musical, which we're going to share with you, and with Katie Brunetto and Matt Martin, who played Jack and Annie in the show. And what we're going to do is talk a little about the show, and they, they'll be singing two songs and reading with us uh, three short scenes from the play. But I thought I'd give you an introduction to Magic Treehouse if you don't know about it. I started writing the series 17 years ago. I'd already written a, a lot of books and Random House asked me to write a series. And at first I didn't think I wanted to write a series because I didn't want to do the same thing over and over. I'd written a lot of books of mythology and folklore and novels and picture books and mysteries and young adult books. And I like variety. So then I thought, well, what if I take two kids back in time and they have an adventure in a different place in every book? So I started with that idea and then I was trying to figure out how to get them back in time. And the first thing I did was I tried a magic cellar with magic whistles in the magic cellar. And I wrote a whole draft of a book based on that idea and it really didn't work very well. So I put that idea aside and then I tried a magic artist museum and I had my two characters go into the museum and a weird lady handed them an artifact from the museum and she put a spell on them and they went back in time. Then I tried, that didn't work, I tried a, a magic artist studio where you go into the studio and you step into a painting that's on the wall. You never read that book either. I wrote seven different drafts of seven different types of ways to get kids back in town time. And I was going to give up and go back to my other work. And my husband, Will, and I, we lived in New York City for about 27 years. And for part of that time, we had a cabin out in Pennsylvania. And we were walking one day in the woods around the time I was about to give up. And we saw a treehouse, an old broken down treehouse. The kid had moved away long before who'd ever used that treehouse. And one of us said, what if you put the kids in a treehouse and take them back in time? And how are you going to do it? And that night, we stayed up till midnight, pondering all the different complicated ways you could take them back in time in the treehouse. And we came up with the idea of magic books. 
that books are magic because as kids know, you open a book and you are someplace else as soon as you get involved with the story. So we had the idea for Magic Treehouse. This is 17 years ago. The first book was Dinosaurs Before Dark, The Night at Dawn, Mummies in the Morning, Pirates Past Noon, Night of the Ninjas, Afternoon on the Amazon, Sunset on the Sabretooth, Midnight on the Moon. I was going to quit there. But then I started getting great letters from kids, and kids started sending me their own stories and their own ideas. So I went on, and I did Dolphins at Daybreak, and Ghost Town at Sundown, Lions at Lunchtime, Polar Bears Past Bedtime, and I was going to quit there. And then Random House talked me into doing some more, so I did. Actually, I, I wrote another 12, 16 books, and... I was going to quit there after the final one of that group, which was High Tide in Hawaii, book 28. But at that point, something else happened where I thought maybe I could change the model a little bit and I could call it the Merlin missions and the stories could be twice as long as the usual Magic Treehouse stories. They'd come out in hardback and then go to paperback. They'd be a little harder to read, but... I would enjoy them, and they can involve more fantasy and more magic. And the first one I did like that was Christmas in Camelot, which was book number 29. And then a, a, a lot more followed after that. I'm now working on book number 42. And at the end of the, uh, our little time together, I'm going to have the kids in the audience vote on some ideas I'm thinking about, and I'm going to show you two covers for books that haven't come out yet. So that's an important part of the program for me because I get to find out what you like and what you're interested in. Well, somewhere in this whole process, my husband, Will, got very involved, besides listening to me read to him constantly. And he said, what if Jack and Annie give kids more facts about the books and the places that you're taking them to? So we thought we would have a line of nonfiction books called the Magic Treehouse Research Guides. And Will worked on all of these, on the book of dinosaurs, knights and castles, mummies and pyramids, pirates, and a number more. And then my sister Natalie took over those. And so now we have about 16 nonfiction books out there that go with the fiction books. Then Will turned around and said, what about a musical of Magic Treehouse? I had been wanting this for a long time because I've always turned down offers for film and television. I never wanted the Treehouse and Jack and Annie to leave kids' imaginations. I wanted them to complete the stories, you to complete the stories in your minds. I want you to see yourself as Jack or Annie, and I want you to remember these stories as if they happened to you, not as if they happened on some big screen, separate from you. So I was very satisfied with that idea. But the other place that I thought the imagination lived, thrived, besides books, was on the live stage. If you put a play on the stage and you're in the audience, suddenly you're swept up in the drama. It's only going to be that way one time ever, exactly that way when you see it. And you are part of the action because you're applauding and you're reacting and you're affecting the actors and they're affecting you. So that is really a, a, an act of the imagination. So Will was working on a show and I said, what about a musical of Magic Treehouse? He was working on a show with a close friend of ours named Randy Quartz. And Randy and Will started looking at all the books. And I'll let Will explain to you why he chose this one. 
Well, we chose Christmas in Camelot, not because it was the first Merlin mission, but because reading all the books, we were thinking, what do we want to see on stage? What would be exciting to put on stage? What would be fun for actors to play on stage and for audiences to see? And there was so much already in Christmas in Camelot. There was a fairy dance. There was a huge banquet. There were dragons. There was a secret cave. It just seemed like a wonderful opportunity to bring Jack and Annie onto the stage with all the magic of Magic Treehouse. And what we want to do now is show you how the book plays into the musical by reading a passage from the book. And then we'll, sh then we'll play, uh, in a minute, we'll play some songs and show you how a book can actually be turned into song. But this, is, uh, this happens just after Jack and Annie have landed in Camelot. Jack shivered. He could see his breath in the dim light. Annie was staring out the window. Jack looked out with her. The treehouse had landed in a grove of tall, bare trees. A huge, dark castle loomed against the gray sky. No light shone from its windows. No banners waved from its turrets. Wind whistled through its tall towers, sounding sad and lonely. I hope we came to the right place. Jack pulled his notebook and pencil out of his pack. He wanted to write a description of the dark castle. Hey, I see someone! Jack looked out the window again. A woman was crossing the castle drawbridge. She wore a long cloak and carried a lantern. Her white hair blew in the wind. Morgan! Morgan hurried over the frost-covered ground toward the grove of trees. Annie? Jack? Is that you? Of course! Who do you think? Annie started down from the treehouse. Jack threw his notebook into his backpack. He followed Annie down the rope ladder. When they reached the icy ground, they ran to Morgan and both threw their arms around her. I was looking out the window in the castle and saw a bright flash in the orchard. What are you doing here? You didn't send the treehouse for us? With a royal invitation to spend Christmas in Camelot? No. But the invitation was signed with an M. I don't understand. We are not celebrating Christmas in Camelot this year. You aren't? Why not? A look of sadness crossed Morgan's face. Do you remember when you visited my library and gave King Arthur the hope and courage to challenge his enemy? Sure. Well, Arthur's enemy was a man named Mordred. After you left, Arthur defeated him, but not before Mordred's dark wizard cast a spell over the whole kingdom. The spell robbed Camelot of all its joy. What? All its joy? Yes. For months, Camelot has been without music, without celebration, and without laughter. Oh, no! What can we do to help? Morgan smiles sadly. This time, I don't think you can do anything. But perhaps it will lift Arthur's spirits to see you both again. Come, let us go inside. Morgan held up her lantern and started toward the drawbridge. Morgan takes Jack and Annie into the castle, and there they spend time with King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table. And as they are spending time with Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, Arthur discovers that Jack and Annie have come in the magic treehouse to the castle. And he is absolutely furious. He said there could be no more magic in Camelot because King Arthur has sent his three best knights on a quest. 
to the other world where all magic comes from. Merlin had asked Arthur to do this, and the knights never returned. And Arthur's heart has been broken. So now he is so angry at Merlin. He is so angry at Morgan and all the magicians of Camelot. He has said, no more magic ever in Camelot. And when Jack and Annie come in, he's startled, and he says, how did you get here? And they tell him they came in the magic treehouse. And Arthur pounds his fist on the table and says, Morgan, let them go home, but never let the treehouse go to them again. I want the treehouse destroyed. And at this point, there is a tremendous noise in the castle, and there is a huge roar. Before Morgan could answer Arthur, the wooden door swung open with a bang. A wind rushed through the great hall. The torches and candles flamed brighter, making the shadows leap wildly on the walls. The sound of hoofbeats filled the room. A knight on a huge horse rode through the arched doorway. And then that's our knight. He's about two stories high. He comes onto the stage in a cloud of smoke. The knight was dressed all in red, from his shining helmet to the long cloak on his back. His horse was dressed all in green, from the armor that covered his head to the cloth that hung from his saddle. Oh, oh. wow. A Christmas knight. I have come to see Arthur the king. The knight's deep voice echoed from inside his helmet. His red armor gleamed in the firelight. King Arthur stood up. He stared fiercely at the knight, but he spoke in a calm, steady voice. I am Arthur the king. Who are you? The, the knight did not answer Arthur's question. So, you are the legendary King Arthur of Camelot, and these must be the famous knights of the round table. Yes, and again I ask, who are you? The knight did not answer Arthur's question. The spell of the dark wizard has robbed Camelot of its joy. Has it robbed you and your men of your courage as well? You dare to question our courage. Camelot is dying. Why has no one journeyed to the other world to recapture its joy? I have set my best knights on such a quest. They never returned. Then send more. No! shouted King Arthur, pounding the fist on his fists on the table. Never again will I feed good men to the magic and monsters of the other world. Jack felt a chill of fear. What monsters? Then you choose your fate. If you will send no one else to the other world, all that your kingdom has gained through time, all beauty, music, wonder, and light, all that Camelot has ever been or ever could be, will be lost and forgotten forever. No! Shh, Annie. The Christmas night turned to the knights at the table. Who will go? We will. We will? Yes, we'll go on the quest. No. Never. Annie. Jack leapt up from his chair and tried to grab her. Yes! Thundered the Christmas night. He pointed his red-gloved hand at Jack and Annie. The youngest of all, these two, they will go. You are mocking us. They will go! Boomed the knight. His words echoed through the hall. Oh no, thought Jack. Yes! Said Annie. She pulled Jack toward the Christmas night. King Arthur turned to his men. Stop them! Several knights started to rush toward Jack and Annie. The Christmas knight raised his gloved hand high in the air. In an instant, the room fell 
deathly quiet. Everyone around the table was as still as a statue. King Arthur looked like the statue of a frozen king. Queen Guinevere looked like the statue of a worried queen. The knights of the round table looked like statues of fierce knights. And Morgan Le Fay looked like the statue of a caring friend. Her mouth was open as if she were calling out to Jack and Annie, but no sound came from her lips, no sound at all. So Jack and Annie go over to Arthur and Morgan and Guinevere and the others in the court, and they find that they're all frozen, and they can't get them to come alive. So. Jack is pretty angry at Annie. What's going on? What do we do now? And she says, we have to go to the other world and get the water from the cauldron of memory and imagination. The knight booms out to them and says, they have to go and get the water, and they have to find three things that will help them, a compass, a key, and a, a cup. And finally, a gift from him. And they're trying to get all this information down, and that's how they're going to get the water from the cauldron in the other world. How are they going to get there? And just as Jack is starting to be worried and ask questions, woof, the night is gone. And Jack and Annie are left alone, and this is where they have a song that deals with their feelings about this whole experience. Okay. What do we do first? I don't believe you. What? Do you realize what you've gotten us into? Sure. We're going to save Camelot and bring Morgan and everybody back to life. Right. By going to some spooky place we don't even know where is that's full of monsters that probably ate the three best knights in Camelot and finding some kind of magic water that's guarded by some weird keepers? Yep, let's go! Annie, we don't even know where we're going or what to do when we get there. It's simply not advisable to take a risk this sizable without a solid strategy. It all could end in tragedy. But what if no one ever cared or tried or dared or ever wondered why? Let's go! No, no! We need to have a solid plan, discover everything we can to help us fully understand this very risky task at hand. We wait and fret, debate, and sweat, we'll never ever even try. I'm not saying we shouldn't try, Annie. I'm just saying I that... I have known you all my life, Jack, and you can be okay. Always thinking, always planning, always in your brain. Yeah, well... without thinking and get us into all sorts of trouble. Well, if I waited for you, we'd never do anything. Well, we can't do anything until we get to the other world. And it could be miles away. And we can't even ask anybody because everybody's frozen. Jack? So even if I wanted to just jump in and do it like you, where would I go? Jack? And how would Jack? I get there? Jack, and a lot of wondrous things but I don't recall a deer with wings or one so or Sweet. or bite. I really hope he doesn't bite hey horsey uh he's not a horse he's a stag <laughs> he's really 
Annie. Come on, Jack. It's crystal clear. Our ride is here. I'll take the front, you take the rear. And on the back of this white deer, just trust me, Jack, I know that we're surely Thank you. Um, at this point, the stag, which is a beautiful puppet that was created by Mary Bremer, who's a long-term Jim Henson associate and did a lot of Muppets puppets, spreads its wings, and the wings cover the entire stage, and in fact, they cover the entire width of the auditorium. The stag flies out over the heads of the audience. Very cool effect. Well, Jack and Annie arrive at the other world on the back of the stag. They realize that the white stag is the, the fourth gift of the Red Knight. And they discover that the other world is guarded by two very fierce and scary guards. Now, these guards have a funny song in the show, but then they also realize, uh, Jack and Annie do, that they're very scary and take their jobs very seriously of keeping people out of the other world. So they're able to sneak past them when the guards get in a fight about magic, and they discover that the other world is not what they expected. Instead of being grim and gray and ugly, it's light and beautiful and spring-like. So they hear music off in the distance. And Jack is very taken by the idea of there being music in the other world and the possibility that there could also be dancers. So we're going to read a section from the book now talking about what Jack and Annie see when they look down the hill to where the music is coming from. The hill sloped gently down into a misty green glade. In the middle of the glade, a band of musicians played flutes and pipes, drums and violins. Around the band, thousands of dancers danced in a huge circle. The keepers of the cauldron! The dancers and musicians were smiling and laughing. They wore blue coats and green coats, white gowns and yellow gowns. They wore sparkling red slippers and hats with colored feathers. The dancers looked like people, except they all had glittering gold skin and wings that shimmered in the midst of sp like spun silver. They're beautiful. Yeah, they are. I don't think we need to be invisible with them. I think you're right. Jack and Annie threw off the red cloak. They left it in the dewy grass and ran down the hillside to the winged dancers. The dancers paid no attention to them. They just kept going around and around in a joyous circle. I feel like dancing with them. Me too. It was strange. Jack was usually shy about dancing, but he wanted to join this dance more than anything. Jack pulled off his backpack. As he set it down, he saw three swords lying in the grass, but he didn't stop to wonder about them. The music was calling. The winged dancers broke their circle and welcomed Jack and Annie into the dance. Annie held Jack's right hand as he grasped the slender golden hand of the dancer on his left. The dancer smiled down at him. Like the others, she was as tall as a grown-up, but she didn't have any lines or wrinkles on her face. All the dancers looked very young, yet they seemed 
ancient at the same time. As Jack danced around in the circle, his heart leaped, his spirit soared. His glasses fell off, but he didn't care. He kept dancing. As he danced, everything in his mind became a blur. He forgot about Morgan and Camelot. He forgot about the quest for the water of memory and imagination. He forgot all his fears and worries. Jack, look! Hi! Jack shouted, laughing. No, don't look at me! Look there! Look across the circle! I can't see! Three knights! Three knights dancing! Great! No, Jack! They look awful! They look sick! Annie pulled away from the circle and tumbled back into the grass. Jack! Stop dancing! But Jack didn't want to stop. He wanted to dance to the wild music forever. Forever and ever and ever. Annie chased Jack around the circle. Stop, Jack! Stop! She grabbed his shirt and tried to pull him out of the dance. Let go, Annie. Leave me alone. But Annie wouldn't let go. Finally, she pulled so hard that Jack broke hands with the dancers and tumbled backward into the grass. Annie has rescued Jack from what turns out to be an enchanted circle. The knights that King Arthur sent on the quest for the water had gotten trapped in the circle, and if Annie and Jack hadn't shown up, they would dance forever. Well, Annie and Jack devise a plan, and they're able to go back into the circle and rescue the three knights. And lo and behold, the three knights give them the other three gifts that they need to complete their quest, the compass, the key, and the cup. The knights are very tired and can't go on with the quest, so the quest becomes solely Jack and Annie's as Annie tucks the knights in and tells them they need a nice long nap. They get ready to head off following the directions on the compass to where they know the secret cave is that houses the cauldron of memory and imagination. And as they're getting ready to go, Jack thanks Annie for rescuing him from the dance. Hey, Annie. Yeah? Thanks for rescuing me from the dance. That's okay. I could have been stuck there forever. I mean, if you hadn't stayed focused on our mission. Don't worry about it. Come on. No. Really. What would I do without you? <laughs> I don't know. Who'd be there to reach out to? I stumbled, I just fall. There'd be no one there at all to grab my hand, to understand, to help me land back on my feet again. What would I do without you? You're my friend. Yeah, well, you're my friend too. You rescued me lots of times. I know, but still. And you know what? much fun if we were doing it by ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> you're so brave. Well, you're so smart. You make me laugh. I love your heart. Hey, sister.
let you go. So, I guess we make a pretty good pair, huh? Yeah. You're the cornflakes, I'm the milk. You're the silkworm, I'm the silk. I'm the saddle, you're the stirrup. You're the pancakes, I'm the syrup. I'm the Katie Brunetto, our wonderful Jack and Annie. Well, Jack and Annie head off in the direction that they know the secret cave is hidden, and they find it, uh, no problem. They use the key, the magical key that the knights have given them to get inside, and sure enough, they find the cauldron of memory and imagination. It's a beautiful, glittering, golden cauldron that's bubbling and swirling with the water of memory and imagination. Annie gets on Jack's shoulders. He helps her up to uh, scoop water from the cauldron in the cup that the knights have given them. And they get the cup. They're ready to head back to Camelot. They think their mission is over when all of a sudden they discover that there are dragons. That they thought the guardians of the cauldron were the dancers. And it was this dancing spell that was going to keep them away. But it turns out that the real guardians, the keepers of the cauldron, are four gigantic dragons. This is the mother of them all. This is about two stories high with a wingspan as wide as uh, the stage itself. She has three uh, children who all try to keep Jack and Annie from getting the water and taking it back to Camelot. And there they are threatening Jack and Annie and keeping them away from uh, their escape back to Camelot. Well, Jack and Annie take a sip from the water that they have in the cup from the Cauldron of Memory and Imagination and discover that it has magical powers. They become incredibly brave and strong and gifted as martial arts experts. And they battle the dragons and chase them all back to their hiding places and head back to Camelot with the water. They bring the water back. Uh, they wake everybody up in Camelot, but they still... Uh, in, in, before they wake everybody up, Jack accidentally spills the water because he and Annie are arguing about who is going to be the one to actually save Camelot and wake everybody up. They have a little tussle with the cup, and lo and behold, the water spills onto the floor. Jack has a brilliant idea, and he decides that if he can imagine and remember hard enough and create in his mind and his imagination exactly what he thought Camelot would be like, maybe everybody will come back to life. Annie helps him. They both have images, their own ideas of what their perfect Camelot would be. And sure enough, as they remember and imagine the perfect Camelot, all the people frozen in the court start to have their own memories and come back to life. Morgan, 
Merlin, Merlin is actually not there, Morgan, all the servants, Guinevere, and finally King Arthur. Well, King Arthur is still very worried about the knights, and he assures him that they're fine, that they're just a little tired, and they'll be there soon. Then there's another crash, and this mysterious figure appears at the back of the stage and reveals the three knights magically having returned to Camelot. The knights don't know how they got there. Jack and Annie don't know how they got there. King Arthur and Queen Guinevere don't know how they got there until the figure turns around, and sure enough, it's Merlin the Magician. And it turns out that Merlin was the red knight. Merlin was the white stag. Merlin was the one who had the idea that it was Jack and Annie who could travel to the mysterious cave, fetch the water from the cauldron of memory and imagination, and save Camelot, because only mortals can unleash the magical powers of memory and imagination. So, everybody is absolutely thrilled that the joy has come back to Camelot. There's a wonderful dance, a big banquet. King Arthur and Queen Guinevere on the table there celebrate Jack and Annie of Frog Creek along with the return of joy to the kingdom. They put Jack and Annie up on the table. The table magically spins them back to Camelot and they wind up back where they started in their windows wondering when the next adventure will happen. Annie is so excited about the adventure they've just had that she can hardly contain herself. Jack is a little worried and Jack is concerned because he's afraid he's not going to be able to remember all the wonderful things that happened to them. Annie then has a terrific idea. She suggests to Jack that he write it down. And that's when Jack becomes a writer. And the very last lines of the play. The treehouse started to spin. It spun faster and faster than everything was still, absolutely still. Those are Jack's words as he writes in his window about his own adventures in Camelot. And it's so great because when the show, that happens at the end of the show, and right before the last line, everything gets completely quiet. And then Jack reads absolutely still. And by the time he, Matt is doing that part of the show, half the kids in the audience are whispering with him, and everything started to spin. And it's, it's really um, kind of a great way because it sort of ends where it starts, with the treehouse and with the idea of taking journeys in the imagination. Now, we've got some backstage. We've got our big curtain call where the, all the actors come out, the fairy dancers come out, and they actually sing a few lines from the song that starts the show, How Far Can You See? So anyway, that's Magic Treehouse, the musical, um, which is available on iTunes as a download. Also, the full-length cast album CD is available, both on iTunes and in you know, a store near you. It has a story booklet, if you get the CD, that tells the whole story of the show and puts all the songs in context. And it's kind of cool to do it in combination with the book of Christmas and Camelot, because then you can see uh, how, for the stage, Things were changed, things were expanded, actors got parts they didn't have in the book, the, the guards who guard the other world, they're very incidental in the story originally, but they have their own song and a huge moment in the show. So I love seeing how it's translated. Yesterday we went to a school to celebrate a girl who had come up with her own idea on how to make a Magic Treehouse book into a play. She had chosen the book Ghost Town at Sundown. 
but what I think kids can do, and you see this sometimes on YouTube or iTunes or even in booklets they send to me, that lots of kids take the stories and try to figure out how to illustrate them or theatricalize them, but they use them to try to trigger their own imaginations. So I want you guys to feel free to do that too and just make it more fun. I'll never forget the time a seven-year-old boy showed up at a book signing and wanted to talk to me privately and presented me with a handwritten contract of, to let him do a movie. <laughs> I signed that contract. <laughs> it's out there somewhere today. But kids have always helped with Magic Treehouse. It's been part of the whole process of doing the series. From the very beginning, kids gave me ideas for books and where they thought Jack and Annie should go. So what I'd like to do right now is have you vote on some of the ideas that I'm thinking about. I have been lately thinking about writing a Magic Treehouse book in which Jack and Annie go to China and have an adventure with panda bears. And I don't know what this would be yet. I think it would be baby panda bears, but I, it's in my mind, and I'm starting to do a little research. That's one idea. I'm panda also bears. thinking that Jack and Annie go to Ireland someday and have an adventure with leprechauns. And somehow they would call up the sort of the fairy world and get involved in some big adventure, not unlike what they did with the fairies in Christmas and Camelot, but this would be leprechauns. I'm thinking they should go to the Alps and be rescued in an avalanche by a big St. Bernard dog. And hero that, dogs. that could be about hero dogs. I'm thinking maybe they should go to the Nile River long ago and have an adventure with Queen Cleopatra. Cleopatra. And then finally, I'm thinking maybe they should go to a World Cup soccer game somewhere, maybe Brazil or Germany, and World have an adventure. Cup soccer. So those are my five ideas. So you can vote on any idea you want, but the most important thing is to only vote on ideas you really love. And if you don't love the idea, do me the favor of not voting because you, you won't hurt my feelings because I haven't written any of these books yet. So how many would like Jack and Annie? Idea number one. And these, these votes are so important. You, wouldn't, you have no idea. How many want Jack and Annie to go to China and have an adventure with baby panda bears? Baby pandas. Baby now, pandas. Now, this is very interesting. Outside New York City, baby pandas are very popular. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there's a baby panda now. There's one right down on the floor. You have one. How many want Jack and Annie to go to Ireland and have an adventure with leprechauns? Leprechauns. A few more than baby pandas. Yes. Thank you. Good. How many want Jack and Annie to go to the Alps and have an adventure with rescue dogs and an avalanche? Hero dogs. How many want Jack and Annie to go to back to Egypt and have an adventure with Queen Cleopatra on the Nile River? Queen Cleopatra. And how many want them to go to a World Cup soccer game? World Cup soccer. How many would prefer it if they went to a baseball game? Baseball, World Baseball, Cup soccer. World, about the same. You choose. Oh, and I just thought of another one I was thinking of. How many would like them to go to a log cabin and have an adventure with Abraham Lincoln as a little Abraham boy? Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, that takes pandas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's one. I that Probably of all of them I said, that's the one I want to do most. But I'm probably for the next one going to work on a book of leprechauns because that, that has been getting lots of votes in other cities. Yeah, yeah well, it, got, now, it, did, it did okay. Let me show you, because this would be fun, the next two books to come out. 
And these are the result of votes. But I tricked the kids because I used titles that I thought would be good <laughs> rather than subjects because I wasn't sure they would want the subjects, but they wanted the titles. And now I'm tricking them into a good subject. And the next one, I have covers long before I have books. This is called Moonlight on the Magic Flute. And Jack and Annie go to Vienna, Austria in 1762 and have an adventure with Mozart when he's only six years old. And Mozart. he's going to perform for the Empress of the Austria-Hungarian uh, Empire. And they have to help little Mozart do that. But meanwhile, out in the woods, on the grounds of the castle, there is the first zoo that was ever in the world. And Mozart lets the animals out. And Jack and Annie have to tame the animals with their magic flute given to them by Merlin. And this inspires Mozart so much that one day, later in his life, he writes an opera called The Magic Flute. Yay. I bet you didn't know that. And then the book after that, and this is a title kids liked better than they uh, might have, they don't know much about the subject I was thinking of, A Good Night for Ghosts. That sounds kind of exciting. They go to New Orleans in 1915, and they have an adventure with a 14-year-old boy whose name is Louis Armstrong. Hello, Dolly. This and is Louis. And there is Louis on the back of the story because they have to get rid of a bunch of pirate ghosts in a scary blacksmith shop in the French Quarter in New Orleans, which is supposedly really there, a scary blacksmith shop that's <laughs> supposed to be haunted by the ghosts of the pirate Jean Lafitte. So Jack and Annie and Louis Armstrong take care of this whole team of pirates. <laughs> so this book will come out next summer. I'm still working on it. This is what I mean by having books come out uh, after I, I've books completed after I've done the whole jacket copy for the cover because of the timing of Magic Treehouse. And then after that, I'll probably be choosing one of the topics we just voted on and if you guys have your way and if I have my way, it'll probably be about Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. So thank you so much for bearing with us today and listening to the show. <laughs> and great. Thank you. Being so kind. Thank you thank very you. much. This episode of Meet the Author was produced by iTunes and the Apple Store in New York's Soho District. To purchase the audiobook or listen to more episodes in the series, click the link below or search for Meet the Author in the iTunes Store.